It is now seven days since we lost Captain Sheridan and Mr. Garibaldi. And in a way, I think we have also lost Ivanova. It is as though her heart has been pierced and her spirit has poured out through the wound. She blames herself. It is foolish, it is destructive, it is human. Ambassador Molari has returned to Centauri Prime to take up his role as advisor on planetary security. I suppose he is quite happy with his new position. It's what he always wanted. Power, title, responsibility. I think he is more alone than anyone else in the universe. Delenn has refused to eat for seven days. Fasting, praying, and waiting. Delenn believes. I think she is the only one who does. The shadows have paused in their pursuit of war, and everywhere there is a sense of imminent change. Whether it is a change for good or ill, no one can tell, because no one has yet answered two very important questions. Where is Mr. Garibaldi? And what happened to Captain Sheridan at Zahadun? The Emperor is the soul of the people, the center of this Republic. This whole world may perish. The Emperor goes on, we go on. In times like this, my father used to take one large glass of vodka before bed. To keep the wolf away, he said. And then he would take three very small drinks of vodka. Just in case she had cubs while she was waiting outside. Doesn't work. Their leader has fallen. Captain Sheridan is dead. Their enemies advance. Let me know. Now a desperate gamble. Hurry. Could be their last. Take us in. On the season premiere of Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. Podcast land. Welcome to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast, a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. We're a group of newbies watching Babylon 5 for the very first time and a group of first ones who have been watching Babylon 5 far too many times. And we are here today to start the journey that is season four with Hour of the Wolf. I'm Scott, and with me is Emily, Blake, Dustin, Nicole, and Kevin. 
Jesse and Mike are both old and have gotten sick, but they will return once they, you know, find out what the hell's wrong with them. So <laughs> we're going to dive in to season four. But before we do that, just a couple reminders that we uh, really do need you to like, subscribe and follow. Whether you're listening to us on Apple, Spotify, Audible or you're watching us on YouTube, click all of the buttons. They really do help us. We are getting very close to another uh, milestone on both Spotify and on YouTube for subscriptions. So please make sure you follow and subscribe. I know about only half of you have. So if you're listening to us week to week, just hit that little button for us. It definitely helps us. Along with that, leaving us reviews on Apple absolutely does help us. And we did get another one. This one comes all the way from the United Kingdom. And it is from Sectux. And it is, I did not hate it. In fact, I love the show. Bringing together people who know the whole show together with fresh-eyed viewers seemed like a bad idea. But this lot pulls this off seamlessly. Listening to people with the wonder of what will happen next helps remind me of that feeling for my first watch through as well. The varied opinions and ideas that keep coming from the cast as well as the behind-the-scenes info that is thrown in there from the old ones we're the old ones, guys, means that it's always entertaining. I can't wait to hear the reactions to more of this season, the next, and whatever else is lined up. Keep it up. Thanks, Sectux. We appreciate awesome. it. And if you want to leave a review, go over to Apple, or we also can take reviews on Audible, so you can do that. And then if you're listening on Spotify, there is that uh, Tell Us About the Show Q&A on your Spotify app. You can type in a review there, there as well, too. So let us know, and then if it's, uh, if it's not too negative, we'll read it here on the show as well. <laughs> and finally, if you can go all the way, you can join us on Patreon, which is linked down below. All Patreon members, regardless of your pledge, get access to our Discord which includes both a general discussion area and a Beyond the Rim spoiler section that the newbies aren't allowed to see. So if you want to chat with us, you can also chat with us on Twitter and Facebook. But but if you want to help us out in growing the show, you can join us over at Discord through our Patreon. And a special thank you to our great council members. Those are our producers who have given the highest pledge, and they are listed down below as well. So guys, we have just finished Season 3, and a special thanks to the thousands of people who either watched or listened to our season three recap already. We really do appreciate that. And we're excited now to move into the second to last season. We are very much over the hump as we go through the last 44 episodes of Babylon 5, plus a few movies sprinkled in there. But we're definitely coming close to the end of the story. I think you could easily say that this is act three of the three-act play. And this season, I always tell you guys this, uh, I tell you this is the season title because you're not even going to know what the hell it means anyway. This season's title is No Surrender, No Retreat. So let's begin talking about No Surrender, No Retreat with the Hour of the Wolf. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time, we're going to go to our newbies first and get their first impressions. And then we will get to our first ones and get their first impressions and we'll talk about the show. But before we do that, Nicole, I believe you have a synopsis for the Hour of the Wolf. Yes. Uh, Sheridan's disappearance begins to unravel the alliance. Londo discovers that Emperor Cartagia has struck a disturbing deal. Jakar decides to search for Garibaldi. Ivanova, Delenn, and Alita head towards Zahadum to search for Sheridan. Thanks, Lurker's Guide. We appreciate it. See, I cited them. We're no longer plagiarizing. Yes. So let's get into our first impressions. Emily, first impressions on The Hour of the Wolf. By the way, I was told to start off the show by letting everyone know that Emily is hangry and grouchy. Emily, go ahead. Yes, it's very true. I am hangry and a little on edge. Anyway, I thought the episode was a really good way to start the season. I liked it. 
You heard it here, folks. She didn't hate it. Shocked, he almost fell out of his chair. You know, season three was rough for you, my friend. So season three was really, really rough for me. But so far, season four has been good. And one thing I noticed is it didn't really have Sheridan in it. That (laughs) might be my issue. Okay. Well, (laughs) we'll see what happens. You're you're now getting disapproving looks from Kevin. I know. I get disapproving looks all the time. I'm used to it. I have a kid. I disappoint somebody on a daily basis. (laughs) You're an American. You disappoint a lot of people on a daily basis. Let's be honest here. By existing. I know. (laughs) Hi, UK listeners. How are you? Justin, first impressions. I agree with Emily. It was a good episode to start the season on. Both the title and uh, Jakar's opening kind of dialogue or monologue, I guess I should say, kind of sets the tone really well. For, for the episode. I'm glad to see Patricia Tallman gets opening creds. That's kind of cool to see her on there. Some questions were answered. You know, Morton's still alive, looking like a insane leper patient. Sheridan's alive. Nukash is a shady asshole. And I didn't think that Londo was going to be the major source of sanity and responsible thinking. But here we are. So, yeah, it was a good episode overall. I love the fact that deciding to kill a planetary leader is the, you know, normal thinking <laughs> and then the calmness that is Londo. In a, Let's kill in the a, emperor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, they've got the version, the Centauri version of Caligula on the throne. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Londo, Londo's got to go to work now. Nicole, first impressions. Right off the bat, I noticed, obviously, the new credits. Lita was added to the um, credits. The music was different. I liked how the voiceover was everybody taking turns. Um, That was really cool. Those are just little things I noticed. But yeah, I really liked the episode. There was a lot going on. I felt like it was really jam-packed. Usually there's like an A pot and a B plot, you know, but I felt like there was more. Like there was so many irons in the fire in this episode that almost there was like a C plot. Like there was multiple things happening. So... But it it didn't seem clunky or crowded or it it all flowed together really well, I thought. Yeah, just first uh, reactions. Morden looked awful and he was creepy. I wish he was dead, but unfortunately he's not. Cartagia is fucking insane. Uh, Homeboy is off his rocker. Even Morden was a little off his rocker. He was a little bit crazier than usual, I thought. Well, you get a nuke dropped on your head and see how you act. Yeah, I mean, he was, was, yeah, like off his rocker. Um, But yeah, like Justin said... Lando being the one who's thinking straight and like wanting to do something good like that was shocking also I thought it was kind of cool that Lita was like let's go try to find Sheridan like that was unexpected especially after Nukash the dick was like telling her don't interfere and it's irrelevant and all that stuff like she's like no man we're gonna go find him or try to find him so I thought that was really neat that whole scene was really cool overall I thought it was great oh and at the very end the music was also different I noticed So before we get to the first one's first impressions, because two of you already brought up the opening credits, uh, I'd love to hear from the three of you, and Nicole, you've kind of already started a little bit, but what do you think about these opening credits? What what do you like? What do you dislike? Justin, you always like to point out that season three looked like the uh, start of an NFL game, pointing out everyone's player and where they're from. So what do you guys think about these opening credits? And compared to seasons one, two, and three, where do you think the season four's opening credits uh, fall for you so far? I mean, I guess for me, it's, I like it. I think that I like the fact that they kind of change it up every season. And I was, I kind of had my own personal theory on what I thought the opening credits were going to be like, and they were wrong because I kind of noticed that the person who kind of closes out one season 
does kind of like the the opening credits monologue for like the next season and i thought it was maybe going to be jakar but i'm kind of glad that they let kind of everybody kind of have a voice and a part in it the music to me sounds a little bit more upbeat like like season three's music for the opening credits was very i guess solemn and kind of dark whereas this is kind of more upbeat but still very kind of martial type um music so overall um you know to quote one of our favorite phrases i don't hate it i don't see anything wrong with it yeah i really liked it i thought it was cool how they had like kind of like a still and like an action like shot you know like it wasn't just them with their name uh like the nfl that's a great way to describe season three <laughs> but but yeah i also thought the music was a little bit more upbeat serious but more upbeat and it just felt almost more exciting, if that makes sense. Like it gave you a, a sense of excitement, you know? Um, and I also thought that like, just the way everything looked, it was really smooth. Like, um, I, not like CGI wise, but like the graphics and stuff, it was really bright and really crisp and really smooth looking. So I think this is probably the best one yet. Emily? I agree. I like the intro to this a lot better. I thought it was a lot more interesting. It seems like the budget for this season got better just based on the first episode. The set design seemed better. But yeah, I I much prefer this intro to the previous seasons. Ironically, the uh, most of the scenes from this opening credits is actually from season three. Right. So if you but to your point, Emily, yeah, uh, you're going to see in this season that they start to branch out more. I mean, Londo and Veer are now no longer on the station and other things are going to happen as well, too. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so a couple, not couple, but a lot of folks online have warned us not to have you all watch the opening credits for a while. I don't think this one is as a spoiler because obviously you know that Sheridan's still around by the end of this episode, but I, I JMS has said over the years that he sees this as basically like the, the, uh, the book cover, the, the, the little side panel tells you what's going to happen. So it's more foreshadowing and, um, just giving you a lay of the land more so than giving you any spoilers. So last season though, when you saw a star fury blow up another star fury, that one, eh, more but since we're already past that part it's good it's good to hear you guys are enjoying these i would say that my favorite season intro is season five mainly for the music but we'll get there when we get there kevin blake what do you guys feel about the intros then we'll get into your first impressions yeah i guess i guess i see where season three it's like the the nf beginning of the nfl game i, I can kind of see that all i like those but uh this one's cool too because it gives everyone a role and they they look real nice but yeah season five that music really sticks with you so we'll have to we'll have to talk about that when we get there but it'll be a while spoilers you've heard it on our podcast for like two years now <laughs> so blake yeah i agree season five is actually my favorite in terms of the music and the opening sequence but uh I, I like three. Um, I like two better, honestly. Season I like season two's setup better than I did three. Uh, but four is not bad. I mean, it it does have a little bit more action to it. You see the characters doing something. Um, several of them doing the jump dives in the uh, season four opener. You've got a few different people doing diving routines through there. So hey, we paid for those stunts. We're gonna use them. <laughs> <laughs> Waste no stump shot. There you go. Okay, Kevin, what are your first impressions on Hour of the Wolf? I like this episode. I really like the stuff on Centauri Prime. I mean, this is one of those where you you see that Londo's 
actions on getting this guy on the throne are coming back to haunt him and he's deciding that he's going to have to clean up his own mess and he's going to need help to do it uh, so that that interests me the caligula reference you know that was that was pretty intentional by jms i mean he even made the name somewhat you know, in the in the same neighborhood for that reason. I like that Patricia Tallman is a main cast member now. And I, I feel like this is my favorite cast season. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. But I have not seen the, the this whole season in several years. So probably at least five, if not more. So I'm I'm struggling to remember what happens. Um and I I th- I can't decide if I'm going to watch it all the way through before we, or just go week to week and uh, be be a little surprised. Haven't decided yet. And Blake, I also like this episode, and you kind of already mentioned one of the reasons why is you start to get this bigger feel with this episode. I mean, before we've had episodes that take place on B five, maybe they venture off to another location and the focus is there for a little while, but you're starting to get this sense of this larger universe with things at play because you've got stuff going on at Zaha Doom. You've got stuff taking place on Centauri Prime where you've got main characters in both of these places. You've got Babylon 5. So things are branching out and there's things going on elsewhere within the episode. So the scope and scale is getting bigger, which is something I'm enjoying with this. And just overall where the season, where it's starting the story with, with season four and carrying on with, you see the impacts of what happened at the end of three uh, you see the impact it's having on Ivanova and that voiceover at the beginning with, you know, we we very well lost Ivanova too. And you just sort of see this dazed out of it, Ivanova walking through the station. Yeah, it's a pretty tragic, you know, uh, thing to watch how beaten she is. And, and uh, you know, it's been suggested by some, you know, that it has to do with, you know, the burden of command. And I, I don't, I don't buy that at all. I think it has everything to do with she, two of her close, you know, co-worker friends are missing and possibly presumed dead or at least one of them she's pretty sad about that and i don't think it has to do with command although that probably doesn't help yeah i mean not only close friends these are the i mean you can argue maybe she's close to franklin but these are the two that she is friends with i mean she has breakfast with garibaldi and sheridan we've seen that just like she had breakfast with Garibaldi and Sinclair. These are her two people that she relies on. And in literally one day, she has lost them both. Mm-hmm. So I completely agree. Yeah. And she has no family left. So she's used to losing people. And she may just be to the point where she just can't deal with losing more people. Mm-hmm. For me, uh, th- this is probably my favorite season. I, a lot of people will say season three. I know, Kevin, you've said season three is your favorite season. Um, I'm looking forward to watching this week to week, as I have been for the whole show so far with you all, to see where this season kind of boils out for me now. But this is usually the season I go to and I watch full on. Even if I'm not going to watch a full rewatch of B5, I watch season four. Uh, I do appreciate, as you guys have already mentioned, that we're starting to see a larger scope. One of the reasons why we were stuck on a station for the first couple of years, it was budgetary. Emily, to your point, um, this is a show that was made on the cheap. And so if you have to own, if you only use three or four sets and maybe add one set a year, you get to uh, uh, your stories have to resemble that. Whereas, and I think as we see here with just being on Zaha Doom, 
uh, Centauri Prime that we're already seeing that branch out. And I also like that JMS is leaning heavily in this first episode on the ensemble cast. And Emily, you and I had a sidebar conversation about how you kind of feel that these cast members are kind of disparate. I'm interested to see how you will take season four as this a kind of ensemble nature of the show um, goes forward, especially, I mean, we talked about the Jakar opening, but even Ivanova gets a log here. So we're starting to get the point of view of our characters throughout this story as well, too, which I don't feel this is a spoiler. That's going to continue in season four. You're going to continue to see this kind of point of view characters as we move through this story. Okay, let's go ahead and dive in to the conversation. And Nicole, you've got your hand up. So what do you got? I just wanted to add something to the Ivanova conversation. It was just so devastating to see how distraught she was, because I feel like, Kevin, I think it was you who said she has no family left. And you know, yes, they're her coworkers, but you know, you kind of choose your family, you know, and I feel like that's her family. That's her people. And, you know, Scott, you hit the nail on the head, losing two people in the same day, potentially. Um, and then the hour of the wolf speech that her dad told her, and it was just so, and like the vodka is not helping. And it was just so heartbreaking to see her in such a bad state. And I don't think it was, oh, because she has to lead. I think it's because she's devastated that she, doesn't know if her friends are here or not. And at the end, when she was like, I have to let him go, it was just like, oh, a jab in the heart because it's like, we know that he's alive, but she doesn't. And it was just so hard to watch. And it just is another testament to her acting too. Because like, if you didn't feel something during those scenes, then you may or may not have a soul because I was like practically tearing up. Just the way that she portrayed her devastation, it was just so gut-wrenching. I would be remiss because we've talked about both Jeff, Jeff Conway's and Jerry Doyle's addictions. Uh, Claudia Christian was very much an alcoholic as well. She's, I, I think, uh, as we've discussed with her on her interview, she's very much uh, in recovery on that now. But if you read her book, her go-to was everything. Liquor, beer, wine. She spent thousands and thousands of dollars on a collection of wine that she just like drank through on a bad week. So uh, when you watch her downing vodka in the middle of the night, this this whole cast, at least especially these three, it's rough to watch them act this out because this was very much a part of their personal lives in real life, not so much just acting. Justin. Yeah, I mean, I can't echo what Nicole said enough. I mean, Claudia did such a fantastic job in this episode because you, you can even see it during, uh, like like somebody had mentioned, I think it was Blake mentioned, that during Jakar's kind of monologue, you see her kind of walking through the station and you can tell she, she was a shell. And just every time that she was kind of had anything to do with her, you can just see the difficulty in her face because I mean, yeah, I mean, not only did she lose two very close friends or quote unquote, you know, chosen family members, but now everything's dumped on her. She's now has to run the station in Sheridan's absence. And, and she maybe, I don't think she wasn't ready for it because I think she, she is ready for command, but it's not the way she wanted it to all happen. So she's struggling with that. And I think probably the scene that kind of strikes out more than anything else about just how how alone that she feels right now is the scene with Veer, where she goes and sees Veer and he tells her that, hey, this is what we know. And she just turns around and as he's talking, trying to cheer her up, you could just visibly see her just breaking down. 
And I thought that was extremely powerful and extremely moving. And like I said, Claudia, uh, honestly, it's probably has to be my favorite Ivanova episode of the series so far. Emily. Well, I'm about to derail the conversation, so sorry about that, because it's going to go back to something we talked about in the live in season three, um, when Justin was asking if we thought Garibaldi was, like, taken by the shadows. And during the intro, I under I was like, I know why he's thinking that. And the rest of us were like, no, Garibaldi left voluntarily. The scene where there's a shadow ship surrounding the fighter. So I think... Our understanding was he left B5 voluntarily in the fighter to go find Cher- uh, Sheridan, and then a shadow ship captured his ship. So I'm thinking, is that um, what you were thinking of, Justin? Is I, Before you answer that, Justin, I want to throw out there, because I give Justin a lot of shit, but Justin was the only one holding the line on this whole Garibaldi was taken because Nicole, Jesse, and Emily were like, oh, no. Well, Garibaldi he, went on his own on his own recourse. He decided to go on his own. So if Emily's starting to get shaky, I think it was like um we were talking past each other where we were talking about him actually leaving the station voluntarily versus having left the station and then being captured in his fighter. Sure, if you want to make that difference, but I'm pretty sure you all were very adamant yeah, that I he st- left on his own. I still don't think he was taken. Okay, you still think he left on his own? Okay, we're gonna find Why? out. So what I hear is 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 Emily just just said I was right. Well, I'm um, I'm, I'm not going to put words in her mouth, but it seems like she may be equivocating a little bit. She may be I, coming I, a little bit. You know what? Come to the dark side. We have cookies. It's great. <laughs> and I'm not saying which way it's going to go. I'm just saying it but was three to one. My, my <laughs> mode of thinking with that whole thing was, and rewatching it in the recap at the beginning of this particular episode just solidifies it to me. He went out to fight. He mm-hmm. went out prepared to fight the shadows. Then as they were leaving, you see the shadow crossover and he just goes, what the, and it cuts. And then you see the, you know, his star fury inside a spider ship. I think he was taken. So I still 100% think he didn't, he's not going on any kind of crusade to save Sheridan. He was out there to fight and he was snatched up for some reason and taken back as a prisoner. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll die on that hill until we find out the truth. And then I'll deny that I was ever wrong in the first place. (laughs) Go for it, Blake. So Justin, here's a question for you. Yeah. Since you think he was taken. Yeah. What is your prediction for why you think Mr. Garibaldi was taken? I don't have any idea, to be honest. Um, if if I anal had probe. to probe, <laughs> maybe you know what the big anal probe that turns into the satellite dish, like in South Park. It took um, us one episode of season four to bring up anal. On we've already show. seen Grays twice in this show. Right. Anal probing must happen. We know what they're into. There's no reason to like dance around it. If I had to come up with something off the top of my head maybe he was taken by the shadows a because like the like the weird telepathic shadow in this episode like knows their names and everything about them so maybe they know that garibaldi's part of the inner circle maybe they captured him to get information or maybe they're gonna try and make him a sleeper agent i don't know i i I don't have a good answer for that yet blake okay maybe it has something to do with uh, what happened when they went to Zaha Doom and they were trying to draw Ivanova and Delenin, Um, Maybe it has something to do with that. Like if he was taken, they probably 
have a reason maybe that has to do with that is kind of what I was thinking. But I still don't think it was taken. I'm going to die on that hill. Somebody's dying. We should talk about Jakar a little bit because um, he was in Garibaldi's room and wearing his hat. And by the way, the whole Zach Allen telling him about the Daffy Duck poster, that was hilarious. <laughs> was that he was like an Egyptian god or whatever. The Egyptian <laughs> god. Yep. God Egyptian of frustration. Yeah, yeah, I was cracking up at that. But I thought that was kind of a cool scene because... Um, you know, Jakar, he was very much adamant about how Garibaldi gave him a second chance and, and they became really good friends. So he wants to return the favor and try to find Mr. Garibaldi. And he went to his room to remember his soul that will help him find him, you know. So uh, at first I was like, who the fuck is in his room? And then when it was Jakar, I was like, oh, OK, so it's not a bad person, which is good. Um but I just really thought that that was such a cool scene. And one thing that Jakar said in that scene that I really liked was um, that our thoughts make up the universe or yeah, our thoughts form the universe or whatever. I loved that line. And cause Zach Allen was like, Oh, I don't have any thoughts or whatever. And he's like, our thoughts make up the universe, you know? And I just thought that was a really cool line. And I thought that was pretty significant. I don't know how yet, but I have a feeling that that's going to be significant somehow. Um, so yeah, I just thought it was really neat that he's kind of going to search for him and he's determined to try to find him. I just really liked that whole scene and the dialogue and him wearing his hat and it was really good. Since Jesse's not here to talk about the attractiveness that is Andreas Katsoulis in the Jakar outfit, um, cause she really likes his bare chest. I think, uh, Jakar wears a fedora very yes. nice. He looked great in it. I really wish like the uh, the action figure would have came with a fedora accessory because he wears it nice. Smart listeners out there who are rather crafty, Scott would like a uh, fedora for his doll. Just make a 3D print so I can put it on his head. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Um, what I like about this this interaction between Jakar and Garibaldi is it's cyclical. Garibaldi is here because Sinclair gave him a second chance. Jakar is here because Garibaldi gave him a second chance. Now Jakar is going to repay that favor as well, too. I love how that cycle continues to move forward on this. Well, and you can just tell that between them, those two characters, like what started as just mere toleration because Garibaldi had a close relationship with, with Londo early on in the series. And then just to see them to not only come to an understanding, but evolve that into a very deep friendship over time, where they rely on each other very closely to the point to where Garibaldi was actually trying to study Jakar's religion in order to try to come up with something that can help in the war against the shadows. And he was even trying to learn how to speak Narn or read Narn and stuff like that. So it's, it's something that they, you know, a very deep friendship has developed between the two. And this is right now, maybe Jakar feels like there's, because even like he says during his monologue where, you know, everything's kind of settled down. Everyone is kind of feels like there's been a change, but nobody knows if it's good or bad. And there's kind of a lull in everything right now. Maybe just Jakar is going to take this time then. He's like, you know what? If I don't have anything else to do right now, I'm going to go find my best friend. And that's his motivation for finding Garibaldi because he feels like he owes, you know, if not a life debt, but a pretty serious debt to him. So it's 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 something that's really refreshing to see. And I can't wait to see where it goes. Now, if we can just get Garibaldi to stop thumping the book of Jaquan, we'll be fun. <laughs> Kevin, what do you got? I really like the Jakar 
voiceover for this episode to narrate. It was uh, probably my favorite part of the episode. Um, I thought it brought it together really well. Uh, obviously, you know, Kitsulis really does a, a wonderful job with that. And, um, you know, quite a bit of, you know, what he says, you know, throughout the episode is, you know, is really profound. And you really see in this episode how, how good a soul, you know, Jakar has become. And I know we've talked about it a lot in senior, you know, season three, but I think you, I think you see such a good glimpse of it here because he feels a real loyalty to Garibaldi and he's almost a, a little, a, a little miffed that no one seems to be worried about Garibaldi so much as, as Sheridan. And, you know, perhaps I don't think that's true. I think he's the focus because he's the leader. But I think if you asked Ivanova or anyone on the security staff, you know, they would say, you know, that they were particularly worried about Garibaldi, but um, you know, I, I'm I'm trying to take in what Emily and, and Scott have said at different times about Sheridan. I I really like the Sheridan character. I really like Box Lightner. I'm not going to be shy about that. But I also really like this episode because of how much Claudia got to do in it. And she doesn't usually get a lot to do. And Perhaps that has to do with the fact that Box Lightner is in this for about two seconds, but that's more of a criticism of JMS than it is anything else, I suppose. Now we've talked about, oh, Nicole, back again. Oh, I was going to talk about um, Centauri Prime. Okay, hold on. So yeah, let me wait. do my let me do my transition. I was going to do 15 minutes ago before you raise your damn finger. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we've done the discussion of what's going on in Babylon Five. Let's take a little side quest over to Centauri Prime. Nicole, you want to talk about the yeah. good Londo? First of all, the the set there was pretty cool. Um, I thought it was really neat. It kind of reminded me of almost like a like a like a Japanese garden or something, but it was really pretty. Um, so that was kind of cool, and it was a little bit more bright than the last time we saw Centauri Prime. So that was kind of neat. Um, but yeah, so all the shit that went down there was fucking wild. Okay, first of all, Cartagia is insane. Um, you know, when he tells Londo that he was requested, I was not expecting it to be Morden that requested him. Uh, and then when you see Morden, I think Justin said he looked like a leper. <laughs> he, he looked wrecked, uh, toe up. So he was also a little off his rocker, as I said earlier, picking his skin off. That was so nasty, by the way. Just flecks of skin everywhere. Blech, disgusting. Um, but oh, yeah. Come on. Was... You know you peel your sunburn. You no, know you do. I don't get sunburn because I tried to avoid it at all costs. <laughs> but <laughs> I was just glad he wasn't eating it like gold members. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's what I thought of. That's what I thought of. But, oh, that's nasty. Uh, but yeah, like that whole scene with him was so creepy and weird. And he's telling Londo, you're going to do what I say. And Londo's like, no, I refuse. He's like, oh, no, you're going to do it. So then, you know, Londo's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because Cartagia promised them this thing. And now Londo has to be there basic you know their representative to the court or liaison or whatever he asked him to do so londo doesn't want to and then 
we finally saw that scene that was like a premonition of him standing there looking at the sky with all the shadows going over. I was like, oh, snap, we finally see it happening, you know? So that was kind of wild. But the whole just all the shit that went down there was insane. Like Cartagia talking to the, the heads, like you know, Morden telling him he's your responsibility. You and Rifa are the ones that put him here. So now you have to deal with it and you're going to be our liaison. Like, I think Londo realized the the error of his ways. And that's why, like Justin said earlier, he kind of became the voice of reason in the episode. And yeah, it sounds weird to say, oh, they're going to kill the emperor and that's the voice of reason. But that motherfucker needs to go. I mean, he is off the rocker and then some, you know? Um, so I just... I think that like, you know, that whole like storyline was just so almost chaotic in a way. Like it was just like, I just kept saying to myself, what the fuck over and over again. But it was just, it was also really good too. And then that one guy, who was the guy that was like assisting Londo and like directing him to his room or whatever. Um, like a chief of staff. I, yeah. Yeah. Know. I don't. I don't know if he had a name or not, but like when he was telling Londo, it's best to be quiet. Just don't say anything out loud. Like he was trying to help Londo and warn him, which he probably should listen to those warnings. Cause clearly, as you can see, all the heads are surrounding his desk. So that was just, it was crazy. There's probably more I could say, but I will stop talking and let somebody else say something. We've, we've seen that official before. Um, you know, he's just listed in the, in the credits as minister, but he's played by Damien London. We've seen him a few times before and he, he does a nice job as the, you know, fairly quiet, unassuming, dutiful, you know, you know, minister, but uh, yeah, he's, he's seen some shit. He makes that pretty clear in this episode. And I'm I'm here for all of this because Lando deserves all of it for being such a jag bag for this whole series, pretty much. Justin Lando's getting to he's got to sleep in the bed he's made, man. But you can finally see him, you know, start to kind of realize all the shit that he's done. But it, the, the 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 minister to me, the entire time I was watching this episode, reminds me of the the Herald uh, from History of the World Part One <laughs> during the Roman period. All hail the Emperor of Rome. Just how he was like flamboyant and everything was just great. And, you know, oh, that's fine. I took the liberty of cleaning your jacket. So don't worry, you know. And just the way he acted just, con con you know, completely reminded me of that character uh, from one of my favorite Mel Brooks movies. Then for him to kind of towards the end be like, yeah, there's a lot of fucked up shit going on. Everybody knows it, but everybody's too scared to do anything about it because they don't want to end up another head on his desk. Yeah, that guy is... As soon as I saw the Emperor, I was just... Yeah, this guy's a... I even wrote down my notes. This guy's a giant tool. Like, it's... I can't wait for... I can't wait to see how he meets his end because the only thing I can I can think is now that he's brought Veer into this and now they're gonna try and take down take him down. This has got to be the first steps on how Londo ends up becoming Emperor down the line. So now I can't wait to see how this plays out. This episode definitely could have uh it been improved by having a stand-up philosopher in it, I'll say that for sure. <laughs> One of the things I like about this too is when Londo calls Veer back you, you you guys are talking about how Londo is the only one making sense here. Only a few weeks ago in the timeline, 
Londo sent Veer off to do what he had to do with Ruck right out in no hiding place and had to, and Veer was starting to like, you sent me and you didn't really know if I was going to make it to where now Veer is excited and happy. He's like, if I had was going to say no, you wouldn't have called me. So I think Veer is starting to realize too that, okay, even though this is getting pretty dark, at least Londo is pointing in some direction that makes sense. So I love that little dynamic between Veer and Londo uh, kind of building itself back up from the low point that they were at at the end of season three. Blake. Well, just to comment a little bit too. So the title of this episode being Hour of the Wolf, which JMS described as kind of that time around 3 a.m. where shit's bothering you and you just can't sleep. You watch the episode, you've got Ivanova sitting up in the middle of the night on the couch, even when her alarm goes off, worrying about everything that's going on. You've got Cartesia going in and talking at his little room and head full of desk full of heads. You've got Londo calling Veer in what was the middle of the night. So kind of that just thread of all of the pieces in this episode of how much was going on with these characters that were up in the middle of the night worrying about all of this as it then ties in with the title of the episode. This reminds me of um, How I Met Your Mother. Nothing good ever happens after 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. The middle of the night can can really be a terrible time, especially when everything seems like it's going bad. And they really captured that very well in this episode. If you yeah, follow a TV show to remind you of that, hell, we all went to college together. I thought we would have learned mm-hmm. that from that. <laughs> If you follow JMS, um, there's a reason why he posts a Twitter about one to four in the morning more than any other time. The dude is very much an insomniac and does all his work in the middle of the night. And as somebody who probably doesn't usually go to sleep until about three or four in the morning, Hour of the Wolf is an interesting time. It's interesting. Justin, what do you got? Well, and it all makes sense about if you know anything about kind of the mythology behind that. It's all it's all about your ghosts coming back to haunt you. And we see a lot of this throughout the episode of where, you know, it's, you know, people are chasing the ghosts of Sheridan and Garibaldi. Um, Londo's dealing with, you know, the ghosts of his his actions, the ghost of Morden sitting there right in front of him, horribly scarred. And it's also the times it's also the time of night where, you know, demons and are running around and stuff like that. And we're seeing a lot of little plans being unhatched and stuff like that. So again, I thought it was a perfectly fitting theme for the entire episode. What else should I got for Londo, the good emperor, Veer? Anything else? I really wish that Ed Wasser was still acting because I really like his acting. I thought that scene with Londo, it it made him look crazy and it was I thought it was very well acted. I especially liked him singing Ashes, Ashes, We All Fall Down. I mean, it was just completely deranged. Seen one, Sheridan, you've seen them all. <laughs> and I want to throw out there, too, the, the folks who have been involved in this meat puppet versus free will conversation we've been having since season one. And I'll just say the one line that Morden said in this episode, the flesh does what the flesh is told. I'll leave it at that. Emily. I think it's in this episode was particularly interesting because we have criticized Londo rightfully so for killing millions, billions of people. And in this episode, we're like, he's plotting to murder someone, and that's a good idea. <laughs> and it fe- like it feels weird, but he's it's like he's doing it to try to save people, but it's a really awkward feeling where you're like Mm, I had to criticize him for killing billions of people. And now I got to like almost feel supportive of him murdering the specific one. And I don't really like it. 
I don't, I don't like feeling like his murdering someone is a good thing. You know what I mean? Hey, if you were given a gun and sent back to 1939, I mean, would yeah. you not blast the shit out of Hitler? Yes, you do. Because you save the people. <laughs> I'm just saying. But when you know, like, generally speaking, murder is wrong. And then you're like, mm, but in this instance, we got to do what we got to do. Because I don't use the term crazy lightly because I know it's very dismissive to people who have mental health issues. This dude is straight up unhinged. I'm not sure that's an actual mental health issue unless you consider, I don't know, having no soul being one. I used to teach sociology for a hot minute, and I always love getting into situational ethics. Murder's wrong until it's not. <laughs> and then the kids, kids' heads explode. Nicole. I had two things I kind of wanted to say. Um, one about um, the thing with Cartagia um, saying that he, you know, Lando's like, what about all the people? Our people are going to die. They're just going to be the human shield or the shields for them. And he's like, so what's a bunch of people? And like, he was just acting so cavalier and like, oh, whatever. Who cares if they all die? No big deal. And it's it's ironic because Emily was saying how before Lando had killed so many people, um, but he at least felt a little guilt at first the first time when they did it you know um but this guy is just talking about killing people like he's changing his underwear like it was just ah who cares i'll become a god and that's all that matters because we're here because of me and i'm the most important and like what a narcissistic like point of view selfish just like you said, Emily, unhinged, like he wants to become a god and he's like, doesn't give a fuck who he has to kill in order to get there, which was absolutely wild. That whole like scene about how people are just collateral and he just, you know, what's most important is he gets what he wants and who cares about anybody else. It was just like, dang, that's like real messed up. Um, So I just thought it was ironic that like you had said, you know, Lando killed all those people. And in order to save more, he's going to have to kill this guy. But like this guy, at least Londo felt a little something at, at first, you know? Yeah. Um, but then another thing I thought was really cool about this whole scene and the time on Centauri was when Veer came and Londo was basically like, you're the closest thing to a friend I have and I need a friend right now and I need help. And, and Veer was like, would you have brought me here if you doubted my answer? You know, and like no matter how much Veer disagrees with Londo and his acts and his things that he does, he's still so loyal to him. And it just shows you what a stand up guy Veer is, you know, and uh, yeah, plotting to kill the emperors and stand up. But like also Veer is like ride or die no matter are, what. You are all so cute and naive with the It's bad to kill the guy who has severed heads on his desk oh, no homeboy can go i'm, but I'm just saying like <laughs> oh, i think this is i think this is the, I, it just feels weird i think this is the best decision londo has made in the three yeah. years we've been watching right. him it I, this absolutely is, is yeah I, I will i i'm a very liberal guy i i i but i when it comes to people who need to go some people need, need to, to go. go yeah yeah the uh nicole to the the veer line that can that line can be taken straight the way you just said it and put into a rom-com and it would work fine yes if, if you thought i was going to say anything else would you have asked me to come exactly oh that's so oh no <laughs> well, I that's rom -com. so thanks yeah. for that oh if you haven't been shipping stephen first and peter jurassic at this point you should you really should justin 
Yeah, he makes a very clear impression. He seems to think for some reason that, you know, the people will gladly sacrifice himself so he can get his rocks off trying to become some kind of godlike figure. Um, and I think, honestly, don't I don't want to completely let Londo off the hook yet because I think why Londo may be completely horrified at the Emperor's at at um at Kataja's kind of comments is because this is Centauri's we're talking about. Yep. Yes, he may have had a moment of guilt or he may have had a moment of displeasure about how the whole destruction of Narn went down. But at the end of the day, I don't think he lost a whole ton of sleep about hundreds of thousands or millions of Narns being killed. This is Centauri's. That is a much bigger problem than, you know, so he's definitely going to have a serious major objection about okay. that. Would he make the same decision to save 5 million humans or 5 million Narns? I don't think so. Well, and I mean, Morden calls him out for it. The reason why we have Katarzia is because of you and Rifa. Mm -hmm. So I'm not letting Londo off the hook. I'm just saying this is his best decision he's made in a long time. No, agree. 100% <laughs> agree. Like you said, when you got to go, you got to go. Kevin. One of the things, and this isn't exactly the same thing, but it's along the same line. When you watch, you know, certain shows, uh, MacGyver comes to mind and you're like, would you just blast the guy, please? You know, like he's come back five times and he's tried to kill you all these times. Like, just would you just do it, please? That may be the first time in human history where somebody has uttered the phrase MacGyver comes to mind. <laughs> well, that's that was one of my favorite shows growing up in the 80s i loved that show but you know and that you know and i could go into a whole thing about uh sg1 if you want me to and i'm sure you don't so i won't but um that was one of the things that rick anderson when he when he did sg1 he's like look i don't i don't i want to actually use a gun once in a while as long as we have an you know an anti-gun type of overarching which they did um but he i think he was uh, really kind of tired of that whole like, oh, no, I can't ever do that. And they had to keep coming up with uh, interesting ways of getting rid of people that had nothing to do with him pushing them. So, newbies, there was a whole little thing about Londo's coat. Did anyone catch why we had to do a whole little thing about Londo's coat and the dry cleaning? Anyone? Nope. Was it because of the fact that when they filmed that scene for the prophecy, he was wearing a purple coat, so they had to make sure he was wearing a purple coat for that scene as well? We see a flash forward of Londo looking up and seeing the exact same scene of the shadows overhead, but he's wearing his purple jacket. And, and he JM... wasn't wearing black yet, was he? Nope. And JMS said, I've learned my lesson after War Without End. I'm going to make sure that everything lines up because he got so much heat about, well, Zathras was supposed to disappear in a conference room. What happened? He's like, I learned my lesson. The black coat was out to the dry cleaners. He's going to put the purple one back on. I was just thinking Pretty of like funny. a Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat reference. That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> yep, but now Londo had to get the purple coat back on to make that prophecy come true. So we've seen another prophecy now. Okay, let's uh, dive into Zaha Doom. And a couple of things we can talk about here. We obviously have Sh uh, Sheridan showing up at the very end, but we also have the White Star. Uh, I guess the White Star A, because the White Star original is now, you know, 
sprinkled like fairy dust over Zaha Doom. Uh, so let's uh, start with uh, Blake. What do you got? Jumping in with the Zaha Doom pieces, and you're right, there's a lot. There's the White Star, there's that old bit on there with them encountering that uh, eye-type thing that's in space that we've seen before, because Ivanova encountered that when she was in The Great Machine. But we have Sheridan at the very end, and he meets this uh, other alien, Lorien, that's there. And the very first question they ask is, who are you? which is the Vorlon question. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's the very first question they ask. And, you know, we've had this argument back and forth about the prophecies and uh, little pieces. And there was that voice in Sheridan's head of Kosh saying jump uh, to Sheridan. So I've, I've always kind of drawn the connections with, you know, Kosh is that voice in Sheridan's head saying jump. And then we get this scene where the very first question is the Vorlon, who are you? Uh, question deep in wherever the hell this you know two mile long pit ended up newbies who do you think lorian is just because you only see him for about 30 seconds any thoughts gosh you think he is kosh uh, like the guy at the end yes i've got a whole theory on that that i can go into later okay. but i think it's kosh emily nicole any thoughts on who lorian is no but something about the way he said some things i don't trust him well, one of my questions... You don't is trust like, anyone, Emily. Sorry, no, Nicole. I really don't. It's, okay. it's an issue we've talked about repeatedly. <laughs> it's never going to change. Nicole, go ahead. Sorry. It's all right. Well, one of my questions was going to be, who the fuck is that guy that's down in this yeah. random pit with him? Like, And mm-hmm. also, he kind of had like a vagina face. I don't really know. Like, His face was weird looking. <laughs> so he had a butthole. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like the antithesis of the butthole people. Yeah. Well, he actually had, if you look at his head, he's got a little bit of a jewel up there. I yes, thought, like, is he a soul hunter? Is he there to take his soul? Like, what is happening? Like, who the fuck is this random guy in this pit with him? Like, what is, can I share your fire? He's like, all right. Cool. And he gives him the like, fuck the, are the, you? he gives him the sexy eyes at the end. It's like, hmm. Yeah. The, the look at the end on his face was so weird. I'm like, what is happening here? So I want to know who this dude is. Like, I have no idea who the fuck he is. Did you all recognize the voice at all? It seemed familiar by Yeah. He's Wayne Alexander is the actor. He's been in, he's played several roles. Probably the most one you're going to remember the most is he played Jack, the Inquisitor. Oh. Now he's okay. in more makeup. Yeah. Yeah, Wayne Alexander is one of their go-to, like, we need an alien. Let's stick him in makeup. Was he a Drazi at some point? Probably. He's, he's been everything at some point. Yeah. <laughs> the look of the character has always reminded me of Elrond from the Lord of the Rings series mm. for some reason. Justin, let's go ahead and start talking about the scene then. Justin, go for it. Well, and I guess, yeah, I'll just kind of just start dropping this now. Um, and my theory, and it could change over time. I mean, and I understand Kevin's point. He does kind of have some kind of, uh, you know, wise figure kind of feel to him. And maybe he has some kind of guiding person that'll help Sheridan navigate the chaos and get off planet. But to me, it just, the whole thing feels like you you keep hearing cautious voice inside of him. We've been talking about how, we, you know, some of us may think that, you know, since we even saw in this episode, another example of how Vorlons can possess and be carried by within human bodies, you know, so we, so there's a lot of us who think that a part of Kosh or maybe Kosh's entire soul is somewhere trapped inside Sheridan. And just for this random guy to come out of nowhere and be like, oh, hey, what's going on? Can I sit here and talk? And he, yeah, he gives him that little kind of weird 
kind of look and smirk and you see something on Sheridan's face almost like he kind of recognizes him so that's why I kind of think go going back to where you know Franklin had to have this conversation with himself and he was you know going through this whole thing where he's talking to an asshole version of himself basically telling him to get off off your ass and stuff like that to me this almost wonders if it's not a hallucination as much as maybe this character is a vision of Sheridan's that's Kosh that's gonna try and help him get off planet and get back to Babylon 5 so that's kind of my whole current thoughts on who this guy is because honestly I was pissed off when they cut the episode the way that they did with really no information about who this person is and just kind of gives them this look and then like I said you see this kind of look of recognition in Sheridan's eyes and then it just cuts to black and then infuriated me like I can't wait to go watch the next episode but that's the whole thing kind of gives me Kosh vibes so that's why I think it's Kosh welcome to the serialization that is season four enjoy remember when we're back in season one where i was like guys it's gonna be serialized tv i promise oh yeah i promise nicole this whole thing with sheridan in the pit with that guy or whatever it seems to me that sheridan has no recollection of what happened or like why am i here where am i and he's like well you were born and he's like yeah no shit sherlock but like why am i here you know what i mean so it seemed to me like sheridan is cognizant of his surroundings and like aware of what's happening but he has no idea how he got there so i'm wondering if like and also where the hell did he get that cloak from if he fell two thousand feet into this pit like one where did he get this cloak and two he doesn't remember anything so like all the our newbies excuse me uh where did sheridan find a cloak (laughs) well that's actually in my reaction video i'm like where the hell did he get a blanket yeah well excuse me It's not like that. It's like what I'm getting at is that I feel like maybe that this person was there to to like take care of him or guide him. Like if he doesn't remember how he got there, he doesn't remember what he's doing or like down there or what happened. And then he randomly has this cloak. Like maybe this person is supposed to be there to guide him and help him. I don't know if it's Kosh because I know that they're supposed to see the Vorlon in the way that they want to see them or whatever. But maybe this is some sort of, I don't want to say guardian angel, but like, like clearly someone or somehow he's been taken care of or helped because that just wouldn't appear. And also what the hell was that metal rod he dropped? And what, what significance was that? Like, did that guy give it to him? Nicole, Nicole, they literally zoomed in on Ivanova's metal rod. That's what I was going to ask. There was the (laughs) rod that Ivanova had on and then he was okay. So that, and I wrote that down. I said, "Is it this? Is it his like markings, or is um mm-hmm. he he just dropped it on the ground?" Remember the la- do you remember the last time Sheridan had to take off his command insignia? Uh, when he stopped. No, uh, not his Earth Force. That was his Earth Force pen. This is his uh, Commander Gold Strike. Oh, okay. He took it off once uh, before. I, I misspoke. I didn't say he had to. He chose oh. to take it off. Do you remember why? In the there you go for the yep. perfect beauty or whatever. So weird he can Gregorian hear the chanting. Chant. Yes. Oh. It, and it was the lesson from Kosh on that was beauty in darkness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, because so I got the symbolism with the command bar falling off in this yeah. one, and he's in a pretty fucking dark spot at this point. I'd say. Yeah. 
Well, because I noticed that like they zoomed in on Ivanova's and then that was on the ground, but it just seemed much bigger. If you looked at it, it seemed, I guess maybe it was zoomed in, but like it looked bigger than what Ivanova was wearing. Nicole's so right. That was actually the anal probe. I mean, maybe it was. I don't know. But... I mean, they didn't know where it fell out of, so. <laughs> True. But I just, I just, some clearly something is there to to take care of him somehow because one, how would he survive that? Two, like, who was this? Like, there's just too much going on there for it to just him coincidentally falling 2000 feet or whatever it was. And, and just being like, here I am, you know, we did have a conversation about those uh, rank insignias, not rank, but level insignias a while back. And actually JMS was asked about it again here. And so he actually laid it out. So command is solid gold. Ivanova has gold and silver because it's command and administrative support staff. Right. And then you have red is uh, medical and green is security. Gotcha. I thought that's what it was, but it just looked so big when it fell on the ground. Like it looked bigger than what Ivanova was wearing. So I'm thank you for clarifying and making me feel stupid. You know, I mean. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's you, what we're here for. You may yeah. have taken a sip of water when they beat you over the head by zooming directly into Claudia Christian's chest and showing no, you the, I, the I, I literally wrote it down, but the thing that he dropped looked way bigger. It looked like it was like this big. It looked like. I don't know. See, so, it, the reason why I'm, be, I'm 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 getting you on this, Nicole, is not actually for you. I actually think that's the one piece of bad directing in this episode because they tried so hard, right, to explain to you that that gold thing was a piece of his uniform. It was like, the, uh, how? Why would you ever zoom in on her command stripe? Aside from the fact that, hey, audience, we think you're stupid. Yeah. So we're going to show you this and then we're going to show you it again two seconds later. Well, just... and, and they shouldn't have made it so big on when it fell on the ground. They shouldn't have zoomed in so much because to me, it just looked like a metal pipe. <laughs> anyway, let's let's read into the little bit more of psychology of Nicole that she thinks it looked big. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm done talking. <laughs> Justin, would you care to continue the conversation? Oh, God, it was so hard for me to keep my mouth shut during that whole part of, oh, my God, it was just so big when it hit the ground, guys. It was just huge. And then and then Blake talking about what body parts that it fell off of. And all I can think about is Sheridan did prison wall at his communicator at one point. <laughs> he did. <laughs> we did. So who knows? You know, it just, it just... And in this episode, Ivanova loses under a pillow, which I can't tell you how many times I've lost a damn cell phone in my couch. Right. Exactly. So I feel her. <laughs> I don't think that was probably part of it. I think she literally just couldn't find it when they were like filming it and they just kept it. But honestly, it just makes me see this whole scene in a different light now um but it, yeah because honestly yeah it was it was a it was a thing about the director i think of thinking that we're all stupid because as soon as i see a guy stumbling around on zaha doom i have to assume it's sheridan like who the hell's you know hell else were they gonna put in there in that scene but um honestly i don't i don't necessarily think that buy into um he, that he doesn't that he has like amnesia or something like that i think he perfectly well knows what happened i think he's just trying to figure out how in the hell he survived and maybe he doesn't remember that little bit i think he still probably remembers everything else that happened on zaha doom so i don't think it's a total amnesia uh thing kevin i think you want to steer us towards the other part of the zaha doom scenes with the white star so kevin 
How about executing the getting us the hell out of here maneuver to get us out of the gutter we're currently in with rods, bars, and uh, prison walls? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about the White Star, please. There's a bonus episode title, Rods, Bars, and Prison Wallets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just, first of all, Lanier's um method of getting them out of that was was pretty was pretty insightful and it wasn't supposed to be that they were going to be uh hypnotized by something but it turned it sure turned out well and it just goes to show you how uh, how valuable he is but um I I really felt for uh, Patricia Tallman in that scene because uh, she in some detail described those awful awful contact lenses that she had to wear that made her immediately start weeping because i mean they had to completely fit over her her eyeball to have it completely cover and they, she said they were too big for her and she could like feel it on her bone they were so big they were oh. so big so she could not wear them for more than you know a few minutes at a time because uh they were so awful reminiscent of uh of the uh the jaws character from the bond series he could only wear the teeth for so long before he was like okay i can't wear these any longer he was just trying to get out of moonraker really is what he was trying to well do. you know everyone should have wanted to get out of moonraker <laughs> nicole what do you got lanier was really good in that whole sequence um but i think it was my favorite when he said executing getting the hell out of here because i think that's the first time lanier's ever remotely cussed or whatever if i'm not mistaken but <laughs> just hearing him say that and like it it just made me laugh so hard. So that was all I was going to add. I just, I really liked him in this episode. This was another callback too. Did you all recognize the uh, good old eye? The eye that cannot see? Oh, well, that's a whole nother thing. But I was talking about the other reference to the eye. The glowy eyes that look like the front of a late model Hyundai these days. Remember when Ivanova during Voices Authority was flying through space on the uh, Epsilon 3 machine and... Drawl told her to get the hell out of there when the eyes started looking at her. It's the very same eye. Yeah. Eyes. Okay. Yeah, eyes. Yeah. Was that yeah. the glowy things, the glowy yeah. blobs? Because mm-hmm. okay. remember when there she was saying it's it's looking for her, it's found her, and Drawl's yeah. telling her to get the hell out of there. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same ones. So wait, are those shadows then? Because they're not dark and they're not the, those creepy spiders. Well, we've seen shadows have glowy eyes. Oh, mm-hmm. that's true. That's true. Yeah. So I I mean, just, if you if you look at the if you look at it, it's definitely a shadow face. Uh, I guess with, I like, just spider eyes. Yeah. Okay. I just saw the glowing and I was like, what the hell is that? Mm-hmm. I and need now, glasses. And now we know it can. If you're a Mass Effect fan, it can indoctrinate you. Yeah, that was wild. The whole knowing everything about them and speaking to them in their father's voices, like what the hell? Here's another thing for you, because we're all about callbacks this episode. What other alien race uses fathers to talk to? Warlords. There you go. GMS talked about that quite a bit. He said that uh, they really, there was a bit of a debate about how much they were going to show or not show during that. And they decided not to show anything and just have the actors do the work on that one. And I thought it ended up, that part of the episode, I thought ended up really well. The acting of, of, uh, Tallman and uh, Christian Berlin, I thought was really good in that in that scene. Uh, the three of them did a nice job with that, uh, m- making you feel uh, what they were going through through throughout that scene without showing anything that may have completely ruined it. It's taken us nearly uh, over two uh, over a year 
but I have finally helped Kevin with an actor name. Finally. Oh, you've done that a couple times before <laughs> when, my, when my memory is just completely failing. It's usually you doing the other way. That's true. Justin, what do you got? Well, not a whole lot to add that really hasn't already been said, but I think it's extremely interesting that they have some some kind of super telepathic being among the shadows, because I don't think we've ever seen any evidence that all of them can do it. So maybe it's just this one creature um, who has the ability to, yeah, not only communicate telepathically, but also to kind of take over and control people kind of hint hint nudge nudge our whole meat puppet discussion to the point to where ivanova said she was actually perfectly willing to take the ship down uh onto the planet in order yeah. you know in, in order based upon what this being was trying to compel them all to do and it was i would love to i would love to hear about any kind of like linear foresight that he may have had to be like well, I don't necessarily trust it. So if I don't have this little button I hit every two minutes, it's just the ship's going to turn around and make a beeline for the closest fucking exit. Like that was brilliant, if not um, um, convenient writing, but mm. I still thought it was a really well acted scene. And then I've got some questions about about Lita anyway that I'll probably hold off for the questions and predictions section. But we'll be there in a second. I've got some. I've got some questions about her. Well, not ahead, to Kevin. give. Lanier too much credit but he he said clearly he was worried about being incapacitated yes so uh, it, it yeah, didn't it didn't right. have to do with foresight of thinking that they were going to be brainwashed um or mesmerized. it was just incapac yeah you're right it was it was just if if he was incapacitated in any way so right. mm -hmm. okay yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 some you know explosions on the bridge and much like all star trek ships i'm sure there's rocks in those that when they explode they go flying <laughs> everywhere it's just part of the technology yeah okay. they have no capacity to stop an overload for whatever goddamn reason <laughs> in the 20 whatever century it's 2261 now sir right <laughs> okay let's go ahead and move into questions and predictions and wrap this episode up so we'll go to nicole first and again for those who are new to our show our newbies have not watched anything past the hour of the wolf so nicole is going to ask any questions she has lingering and then make any predictions that she may have so nicole what do you got so i already asked this but who the hell is that guy sheridan was talking to at the end and what's his significance um what is going on with morden like is he getting healed is he morphing into something else because the way he was making it sound was flesh is just flesh or whatever but like are they gonna like give him a new skin are they gonna well he 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 actually said it in the episode he said they're repairing him okay so his masters repairing are repairing him, him. That's so weird okay um so then uh my other question would be um obviously do lear lear Londo and Veer, apparently I'm combining them, uh, succeed in killing Psycho Emperor. Um, and then prediction, um, I think it was a bad move for Centauri Prime to let those spider ships come and, and go underground there and, and hide, basically. It was a bad idea. Justin, questions, predictions. Question number one, I referenced it just a few seconds ago. What the hell did the Vorlons do to Lita? We know that they gave her gills. Uh, but that but that black eye shit like what was that why then is it just because of her being trying to reach out into like shadow consciousness or is that something that happens to her whenever she's trying to do something telekinetic or like uh, telepathic like that like it just kind of i've never seen that happen before so it was kind we have. of like we have we've, we've seen the black eyes before <laughs> with with just her though or with someone else 
Mm, I think with Lita. I can't remember. Uh, with someone else, too. Who was uh, it? Was it someone else? When Kosh had, when uh, Jakar was. Yes, Jakar and Dust to Dust. Thank uh, you. In Dust to Dust. Uh, when he took that and was doing the uh, telepathic assault on Londo, he had the black eyes, too. Um, so okay. we have we have seen other telepathic attacks. I completely forgot about that. So yeah, that just kind of like really freaked me out. I thought maybe it had something to do with what the what the Vorlons did to her. Um, Could be, but we've seen it before. Yeah, yeah. Who's the shadow telepath? Is he the person that's controlling everything? And then my last question: Can anyone be touched by an angel, or does it have to be like a particular type type of person who can carry Vorlon spirits? I want to know if there's anything like, can they just inhabit anybody or does it have to be like specific conditions that allow that person to be able to carry a Vorlon like that? And then predictions, I still stand by. I think the guy who's visiting with Sheridan is Kosh, maybe even like an earlier version of him. Because what, the Vorlons are what, millions of years old? Maybe like what they looked like before they became angelic you know, creatures. If you think of like, evolution stuff like that maybe that's what vorons used to look like back in the day but i still think it's kosh i also think this is how lando starts down the path of becoming um lando lando i'm already saying lando carissian joins in season four because yeah yeah they wrote in the millennium falcon somehow but i think this is how lando starts down the path of becoming emperor new kosh is up to something and i don't think it's good because of of uh just the way he's kind of acting even towards lita and basically saying stay the fuck away and don't interfere with anything that I'm doing. Um, yeah, he actually, we didn't really talk about that, but he said that Sheridan nuking Zaha Doom has opened a door. Has opened an unexpected door, and mm-hmm. now Sheridan has fulfilled his purpose, and that's why he has no interest in going to rescue him. And so now that he's doing something, he's got something up his sleeve that even Lita says that he's, he's not communicating with her, and I'm not 100% sure if she trusts him. I mean, she has to work for him, but you can just tell by the way she acts around him, she doesn't either like or trust some of the things that he's doing. But I do think that Kosh will be the one that does save him and helps him kind of find his way off the planet and back to Babylon 5. That is all. Thank you. And Emily, questions, predictions. All right. First question, who the hell was the cave guy? I also have questions about how they survive, like food, water, you know, basic necessities, air you can breathe. It's only been a week, so if you can survive a nuke, you can go about two weeks without food. Yeah, so just, you know, some basic questions about that. And Um, where did he get the cloak? Seriously, that is the the weirdest thing about this entire episode. Where did Sheridan get the cloak? We do not sound like that. It was the blanket (laughs) the Red Cross gives you when they show up after the fucking disaster. Jesus Christ. The little eye vessel thingy. Who, what, I don't know if it's a who or if it's a what. I guess that's my first question. Is it a who or is it a what? Or is it a combination? Um, What the fuck is Kosh 2.0 plotting? Because I don't trust him. Lita doesn't trust him. I don't trust him. I don't like him. So I feel like he's plotting something that may not turn out well. And I really want to know what that unexpected door that Sheridan opened is. Because... Up until now, a lot of this has been working off of prophecy, at least as far as like Dylan and Dylan and Kosh's understanding of things that would happen in the progression of events. So I'm wondering if this unexpected door was actually unexpected or if it was one of those 
if something didn't happen in timeline A, we get timeline B kind of things. But I want to know what that door was. Any predictions? Not just yet. But I am hoping they find Garibaldi and he hasn't been turned into a shadow meat puppet. Okie dokie, that will wrap it up for our conversation with the newbies for The Hour of the Wolf. We'll be back next week with them to talk about the next episode, which is whatever happened to Mr. Garibaldi? Question mark. Dun, dun, dun. And then we'll be back here after the credits for Blake, Kevin, and I to answer all of these questions and predictions in our Beyond the Rim segment. Please be sure to like, subscribe, follow, and join us in the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. And if you can join us over on Patreon, you can also join the conversation on our Discord. And please, please, please go into Apple, go into Spotify, go into Audible, wherever you get your podcast, and leave us a review. It really does help us grow. Until next week, I've been Scott, and with me has been... Emily. Blake. Justin. Nicole. And Kevin. And uh, we'll see you next week where we may have a fight between the Garibaldi got captured versus Garibaldi went out on his own crowd. We shall see. Dun, Bye. Dun, dun. Bye. Bye. Uh, where did he get the cloak, guys? You know what? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. I love it. It's like the guy. It's like the guy who sits there uh, during Star Trek conventions in season four, episode three. You were wearing these particular kind of loafers, but they wouldn't have still been around in the twenty-third century. Look, I can suspend my disbelief for certain things when I'm watching shows because I know you have to, but that's not one of them. <laughs> I just want to know who gave it to him. Just showing up in a cave is not one I can like. Emily draws the line at blankets. That's, that is the line of the sand that cannot be crossed. Just randomly appearing blankets. It was tattered. He probably just found it. Like, it was obviously tattered. Because I didn't see him pulling a curtain off the window when he jumped off the balcony, so. You don't know, he might have, like, found it floating and used it as a parachute to guide his way down the suffocate you with a fucking blanket. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to, and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. Again, this is a spoiler section, so if you have not watched past the Hour of the Wolf or you just can't remember what happens next, this would not be the time for you to join us in this conversation. So see yourself out, and we will talk to you next week. For all those who want to stick around, let's go ahead and dive in. And the one thing I want to bring up, guys, before we get into questions and predictions, and I know it's going to get asked, and I want people to be careful when you ask it, especially on Facebook, because that's where most of our newbies are, is we are n- we've decided to not talk about the behind the scenes when it comes to season four, specifically that 
they were expecting to be canceled after season four. PTN, Warner Brothers had come to them and said, well, PTN, the network, isn't going to be around much longer. So wrap it up. And we don't want to do that because we don't want the newbies to start thinking about, you know, what's changed here, what's done that there. But we will talk about it probably when we start up season five, um, that, uh, what happened with season four, especially since we'll be starting talking about TNT more than anything else. So please be careful when we're talking about season four and season five in the interwebs because we want to keep our newbies not thinking that anything is weird going on or that they're rushing towards an end or anything like that which they absolutely are rushing towards an end which is why the shadow war will be done in the next five episodes still a lot better than the last season of game of thrones oh for fuck's sake <laughs> oh the last two yeah. seasons of game of thrones is i mean freaking I, I really want to see what the newbies think about this season at the end of it without mm -hmm. that knowledge mm -hmm. and so when when you said that to us privately scott i was like absolutely let's definitely do that yeah so we're we're asking for you know some cooperation from from the listening audience please don't spoil our newbies about that because we, we really want to have their unfiltered um yep that's the other point on that the, the, to that point, too, when we get to Deconstruction of Falling Stars, which, by the way, is one of my favorite episodes, um, we're not going to tell them that that's a second finale that they filmed for the season. I want them to hopefully be surprised when Claudia shows back up at the end of season five, which she doesn't. She filmed that in season four, but she'll show back up with uh, Sleeping in Light at the end of season five. And I'm going to try to make them surprised when we get there in about a year. Okay, guys, let's dive into questions and predictions. And our questions circle around a lot about Lorian and what's going on with Sheridan. So we'll start there. Who is Lorian and what is his significance? Well, Lorian is a first one. He's yeah, he's more than a first one. He is he's the first the, one. The first one, yes. You're correct. And he's played by the awesome Wayne Alexander, who does a fantastic job with with this part. It would be tough for me to decide, you know, which of his characters between uh Jack and Lorien I enjoy more, although this one obviously lasts longer and is mm -hmm. more impactful to the series. But I was and and others were less, you know, uh interested in that episode but i really liked to see him in mm -hmm. that other role because it really shows that his acting has a great range to it that he does a nice job with but you know here he is the um i don't want to say all-knowing but he is the he he is the mentor he's the the guy that is helping Sheridan work through what's happened and where he's going and he's also the one that breathes some new life into him and moving continuing down that path he's also the one that helps in his own way the shadows and Vorlons finish their shit mm -hmm. he yeah I, I alluded to the fact that the shadows and the Vorlons both use patriarchal fi uh, figures to communicate you know we have kosh using sheridan's dad we have the eye using ivanova's dad the shadows and vorlon see loriana as the father figure like uh, in a few episodes when they're on the bridge of the white star the shadow in ed wasser's voice is going to ask are you going to come with us are you going to leave us alone behind what's going on they're children and lorian is the dad and blake and i still fight over if he's the man in the middle or not i don't think he is I still say he is. 
I think the man in the middle got a nuke shoved up his ass or down his ass, however that works. Moving right along, <laughs> going over to Centauri Prime, do Londo and Veer succeed in killing the Emperor? Yep, and I think they're going to be surprised yep. at which one of them actually kills uh-huh. the Emperor. Yep. Mm-hmm. Every prophecy we've been told so far, every single one, and we got another one today, has come out to be true. So if every prophecy is right, that means that Londo and Veer have to be Emperor, and as was pointed out, you can't have two Emperors at the same time, so that means Cartagia's got to go too. In order to do that, they're going to need a third conspirator. Yes, I love, I we'll love it. we'll see next week. Yes. Mr. Dakar is going to unfortunately pay a terrible price for uh for his complicity in the in the conspiracy but it's not particularly by choice it is and it isn't one of my favorite lines from jakar just because it's it's so jakar is when he's getting beat up and just tortured and i think it's the emperor asked do you have anything to say and he's like yes do you happen to know where mr garibaldi is yeah. <laughs> jakar is such a good friend he's like i am being tortured but I have a mission. Can you help me out? Going over to the shadows, who is the shadow telepath or the eye? Is that the shadow leader? Who is it? Or what is it? Or is it a who? Or is it a what? They really don't get into that all mm-hmm. that much. We're not going to um, see it again. No. It, you know, and so you're left up to interpretation. I, I'm not aware of anything in the uh, in the extended universe that would tell us the answer to that. But I think it's best left not to. I I wonder if this is one of those areas that would have been fleshed out more if we had a season four and a season five. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we did have a season four and season five. But what I mean is, if we originally had what JMS was planning for season four and season five, because right. uh, if he could have drawn out the shadow war through all of season four, we would have been able to see a lot more of the shadows. And then he would have had the earth fight be season five at least that's what i assume his plan was at this point so we would have got a lot more of the shadow play what did the vorlons do to lita they fucked her up good gave the girl gills i mean we discussed this a little bit with franklin when he examined her last season mm-hmm. they they've they've made her like peak human she has the ability to be kind of extremely athletic she doesn't have any disease. She doesn't have any ailments. She's actually more healthier than what she was before. And they don't say it, but I'm pretty sure they also upped her ability past a, a P5. Sure. Much like the same Talia got a boost. I think Lena got the same kind of boost. Yeah, I was just going to ask. I, I My memory t- was telling me that she was a P5. I was like, wait, Talia was a P5, so maybe you're wrong. But yeah, they were both that. Mm-hmm. They're both and- commercial teeps. And both pretty clearly not P5s at the end of their story. Mm-hmm. I'm, and maybe I'm forgetting because, uh, forgive me, I forget a lot of season five for many reasons. Yeah. But they may bring it up in season five that she's a stronger telepath than what we were led to believe at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. But, they, they go into that a lot for sure. But yeah, she when she starts out, she's a commercial telepath and commercial telepaths are P5. Go ahead, Blake. No, I just said they did. They bring it up oh. in season five. Okay, with Byron. Can anyone carry a Vorlon? Or do they have to be special? Because Lita trucks around Kosh and all Kosh, and Sheridan seems to be trucking around Kosh. I think anyone can uh, take a Vorlon. Jesus. I don't know how to phrase it there, Scott. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) He broke Scott. I think anyone 
modified by the Vorlons could probably carry one as long as they are starting from telepathic. Um, but, but Sheridan's neither one. He's not modified. He's not the telepath. True, but I don't know that he can. Well, okay, okay, I suppose so. But he's not really carrying the Vorlons in the same way that Lita. No, it's true. That's true. This is cautious, like latching on for dear life. And Lorian says that. And the, uh, uh, we'll get into the conversation. Did Kosh make Sheridan jump for one reason or another? But Lorian says later on that uh, Kosh is struggling to stay alive just like Sheridan is. What is all Kosh or Kosh 2.0 plotting? And was the door a change in the timeline? Well that's a that's a little bit of a reach there, Emily. But what do you got? <laughs> Wasn't Gosh. it that um they decide to lay waste to mm-hmm. um being touched by a Vorlon. Uh, by a shadow. But by yeah. a shadow, yeah. Being yeah. touched by a shadow. Right. Well, it's it's a change in the dynamic. For millions of years, it's been the Vorlons stay on their side, the Shadows stay on their side, and let the pawns play. But now the Vorlons feel like they have the upper hand, and also they're still pissed off that Kosh got murdered. So the Vorlons see this as an opportunity to become the only big dogs in town. They want to wipe out the Shadows now, and anyone else who's been involved with Shadows. So the open door is, for the first time in a millennia, or more than that, actually, we have the upper hand, so we're going to use it. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting, you know, that uh, both Emily and Nicole at different times in this episode really uh, hit the nail on the head with stuff. With Emily, it was, you know, Garibaldi, I hope he doesn't come back as a meat puppet. And in some ways he will briefly. Mm -hmm. For somebody else, but yes. Right. And Nicole you know, said, I think that's going to be a really awful mistake that the Centauri's made letting the shadows on the planet. And she's absolutely right. That's going to have far reaching implications for the Centauri's. We want to talk a little bit on the door that was opened. You know, if I wanted to admit I was wrong and Lorian isn't the man in the middle. But you won't. But I won't. But let's just, you know, say if I were to. The unexpected door could be the Vorlons didn't know that Sheridan was going to go find Daddy either. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, Sheridan opens that door and, oh, shit, Dad's back. <laughs> He's been hanging out in the caves for a while. You know, <laughs> gathering blankets for who when it comes down. Yeah, I don't know where I fall on this debate. Um, I'll, I'll let you know later. But what I will say about this you know, it, it is it, it is really interesting, the, the whole uh, dynamic uh, with this argument, which is why I don't really want to jump in. I just kind of want to uh, laugh about the two of you uh, joking <laughs> about it. But it, it is it is one of those things in this series where you really don't get uh, the full answer and it's completely left up to interpretation, which is, is fun in some ways. I mean, I don't want everything handed to me, mm-hmm. um, which is why, you know, there's a lot of debates about the show that you can have of stuff that, you know, JMS leaves kind of open or gives and, multiple answers. To exactly. Or, depending or on the, what, depending on what year it is, he's got to tell you something different, but it's not, and it's not just Blake and I, I mean, this is the question that's launched a thousand Reddit threads. Cause I've been through several of them is the, the big question of who's the man in the middle, who, how much did Kosh know about Lorian before they jumped all of that good stuff. So it's a debate that's been going on for 30 years and will continue to go on long from now. Let's move into predictions. And as was already alluded to, Nicole said, it's a bad move that the Centauri prime, uh, the Centauri prime, 
time to let the shadows come and hang out on their little island? Yeah, see the uh, previous question and what the Vorlons are planning. To Emily's talk about, is the door a, a, a change in the, the timeline? Did, did, did things change? At least for this Babylon 5 proper se five seasons, the, the key thing here is JMS operates under, there is one timeline, and that timeline is set in stone, and it does not change. And so what we saw in War Without End, where Sheridan flashes forward and sees Centauri uh, Prime in flames, that happens. Londo gets his uh, keeper. Uh, all of that is going to happen. So we're on that path. Delenn tried to change that path by telling him not to go Zaha Doom, and he didn't listen. So, yeah. The, now, when we get to Road Home, which the Lubies will see here a year from now, um, we start getting into multiple timelines and universes and all that stuff. But for this five-season arc, there is one timeline, and it never changes. This is Londo starting down the path to Emperor. Yep. The the only the only argument I would give to that is Londo's been on the path to Emperor since he met Mister Morden. But so he's it's not the start of the path. It's the continuing the path. But absolutely, it is a fork in the road. And he has taken the fork towards Emperor for sure. Mm -hmm. This is this is the beginning of the end towards that. It's also the beginning of the end of Londo. Yeah. I mean, because this is this is going to set up. We're going to see a redemption arc of Londo here for season four. But then we're going to realize when we get to the the the, the implant of the keeper that even if you redeem yourself, you have to st still pay for your former sins. And that scene between Jakar and Londo, when Londo is going off to be kept, um, is a really powerful scene for that reason, too. So Londo will get his redemption, but then he will also have his fall. Lorien is Kosh. This is a... I was not expecting this one. Yeah. It's a nice little curveball from Justin. Well, Maybe the earlier version. A couple lately where he's hit the nail on the head, but this one, not so much, no. The one thing I'll give him, though, is he said an earlier version of Kosh because they've been around for a while. So he is, he's he's on the board. He doesn't hit a bullseye, but he's on the board mm. because Lorian is an earlier being, an earlier race. He's not a new guy who's just hanging out in a penal colony or something. So he's right there. He's just that he's not a Vorlon. He's also not a soul hunter, because if you go back and look at Lurker's Guide, uh, some folks in Lurker's Guide were talking about, is he a soul hunter? No, he's not. He's he's a different thing. He is an immortal being, because for some reason, the first race that's born in this universe is immortal, which we can talk the philosophical conversations about that later, but that's what he is. He And he is the last of his kind, because the rest of his kind went off beyond the rim long ago. And... As soon as I said that the look of the Lorian character reminds me of Elrond, mm -hmm. that's all I meant. The look of the character, that's sure. it. And Justin just latched onto that and was like, oh, yeah, the all-knowing, all this. And I'm like, no, no, that's not. I mean, he is, but you don't know that yet. <laughs> I just well, meant the look of the character. I said that so clearly. Well, the, on, the, the nice thing about season four being so sped up is in five episodes well actually next episode we're going to basically know that yeah uh lorian kind of lays it all out because in episode three of this season sheridan's back at b5 with lorian so i mean it goes quick mm -hmm. i mean the, the shadow war ends in five episodes from now it's yeah. it's that fast and I, I i'm interested to see how the newbies handle that because they have been, uh, especially Justin, but also Nicole and partially Jesse too, have been really into this shadow war. 
and I'll be interested to see how they feel about it being wrapped up so quickly. Kosh will save and bring back Sheridan. This goes back to the whole point is he thinks Lorian is Kosh. So uh, no, Kosh will not be the one saving him, but Kosh will be saved, quote unquote, by Lorian as well, too. Because if Sheridan survives, Kosh survives. Kind of. Kosh gets to go kick new Kosh's ass. Yep. Which, though, it's interesting when we actually find out what a Vorlon really looks like, because they look a lot like a shadow. New Kosh is up to something bad. Thank ding, you ding, for ding. the thank you for the enlightened prediction. <laughs> <laughs> was that Justin? No, that was uh, Nicole. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean we've already discussed it. The the Vorlons are laying out a plan to where they are going to exert their dominance in the universe. They are going to send out planet planet killer, and they are going to start wiping out anything that's been touched by a shadow. And as we've seen, and as was alluded to in this episode. Every race has been touched by the shadows because the shadows have been meddling with everybody. I mean, even Morden says in this episode, they planted their ships like seeds across the galaxy. So the Vorlons have a lot of work to do. I mean, if you go to the road home, uh, the new B5 uh, animated movie, uh, spoilers, if you haven't watched it yet, you probably have at this point. In an alternate timeline, the planet killer comes for Earth. So the Vorlons are going to start being an aggressor um as we move forward anything else you guys want to talk about with the hour of the wolf it's getting to the hour of the wolf here as we record this thing i think the newbies have finally realized that other than kosh that you know the vorlons are not benevolent but that's going to become abundantly clear very soon but i I think they're already kind of on that path it's happened a little sooner than i was expecting they certainly laid the groundwork for for that well and then kind of mask it in this series. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh yes, they're, they're, wow, they're bad. Okay. They're all bad. Both of them. They're bad. They need (laughs) out. And Sheridan kicks them out of the galaxy. Get the hell out of our galaxy. Okay, guys, well, we'll go ahead and wrap it up there. We're going to be back next week with whatever happened with Mr. Garibaldi. If you have anything you want to add to our conversation, uh, if you're on YouTube, put a little spoiler tag on there before you do anything. But if you want to come over to our Discord through our Patreon, you can go into our Beyond the Rim section and spoil everything you want to spoil because it's just those who have watched the whole show in that little area. Till next week, I've been Scott, and with me has been... Blake. And Kevin. And enjoy all you insomniacs out there. Enjoy. I know I will. I need some vodka. Initiating. Getting the hell out of here, Maneuver.